Hi everyone, it's Kareem, the voice of Simon Fairchild and the Eternal Tavern Keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Celine, a podcast recently launched on the RQ Network. Step into Celine, a city cloaked in darkness and teeming with horrors. From evil headmistresses to murderous marionettes, black worm parasites, haunted hotels and eerie sleepwalkers. Meet the paranormal investigators of Needle Street, newly arrived to battle the encroaching malevolence. Inspired by Poe, Edward Gorey, and Agatha Christie, their adventures promise twisted mysteries and unforgettable characters. Immersive audio brings the city to life, blending dark humor with bone-chilling suspense. Join the investigators as they navigate Celine's shadows, where mystery and intrigue await at every turn. Experience the thrill of Celine in Dolby Atmos. That's S-E-L-E-N-E. Or visit www.rusticquill.com for more information. Hello, listener. It's me, Alexander Janewell, and with me today I have... Johnny! Johnny's here! Hooray! And we are here to do another commentary episode. This one is covering choices made by patrons. So these are the bits that patrons really, really, really want us to give low-quality kind of uh, riffing around. It's great. It's going to be insights. I'm going to be saying funny stories. I promise. Promise there'll be a funny story for every one of these clips. Uh, I don't know. I mean, even I... if I have to make them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Fiction, fictional quips. Here we go. Any last words before we get started? God help us all. <laughs> no pressure, Johnny, but you do also have to get all of these now encyclopedically correct. Yeah, that's fair. Why are you still here? Why are you still here? You told me to be here for recording, Alex. I don't have another choice. Just am. Oh, it's Ghost. I, yeah, I know where we are. I feel right it's Ghost. Leave. I've typed up a few resignation letters, but I just couldn't bring myself to hand them in. I'm trapped here. Funny story about this like is, weirdly, for quite a long section of season two, Alex actually was a ghost. So when we were recording the oh. season one finale... You're not even waiting for the quiet bit, you're just diving right in. Uh, I know this one, it's like, oh... It's you? funny, what? you know, misunderstandings. No, no, I just, no, the, just the way you phrased that. Did you I, think I yeah. was a ghost? No. It's, to be fair, this no, is one no, of the first times in the series that I properly was just like, you know what, I can do a joke. Well, That's going to be fun. You can't cross-talk oh. over cross-talk, Johnny, you're mad. Um, tripling you're a the cross-talk. Tripling the cross-talk. A ghost? Really? Shut up, Martin. The thing I liked about that scene is... There hasn't been much chance for true levity earlier mm. because season one has to take itself very seriously. Yeah. It has a slightly tongue-in-cheek start where it's like, I'm a bit officious so that you know who I am. The archivist is a bit of a joke in a lot of the ways, but the actual series, the actual horror of it and the interactions have to be quite po-faced. But that meant that it was only once you had a big, you know, stuff's hitting the uh, fan finale that you could then have... Uh, Just that moment... Also, I love comedy that comes out of characters, like, engaging with very, like, high nonsense, like, 
genre stuff in very real ways. If you're like, hang on, ghosts are a thing, there's a question of like, okay, well, it does kind of sound like you're saying the stuff that you say when you realise you're a ghost. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoy those moments of like where genre awareness clashes. I'm really struggling with this because I haven't heard this episode in about four years and I can still hear it running just a little bit underneath and part of me is just there going yeah why is Lottie in the pod Lottie is in the podcast yes what why is there all oh, this someone's oh it's Tim this is Tim this is Tim turning up oh Tim without his trousers <laughs> more importantly happy Tim I got too used to angry Tim towards the end do you remember when we made Mike hold his breath for ages to do this scene <laughs> and he got really lightheaded <laughs> He gets really lightheaded really easily. Yeah. To be clear, we didn't force him to do this. We were like, <laughs> you know, if you like do the sort of faux hyperventilating, it gives you a certain giddy energy. And he went a little bit further, I think, than we intended. <laughs> that whole scene was, that was a very fun one to record. Because as well, you got to remember that at that point, we'd never done proper group recordings. Yeah. Those are our first group recordings. And there's elements of like discovering that Mike's not allowed to speak at the same time as other performers. Mike's deep bass rumble. Was that the first time we had to just like strap a pillow to his chest? Yeah. For a chunk of that, I remember we were in post asbestos flat and we were all gathered around my table and we were sat around the table in what was effectively a purely empty room I'd only really just moved into and we even if I shoved every single piece of furniture I owned in there it was still basically just a big blank room which is why it's yeah. deliberately built a little bit reverby oh that last one that Alex just told that was the fake anecdote the one about Alex being a ghost is real oh was it okay cool great we're coming into our next one then alright let's see we're one for one at least on knowing what we're talking about which is good I am strapped in. I found this in the folder marked 991060. Oh no, I don't remember the numbers. Where Gertrude's tape had indicated I would find the statement of Decker himself. My waver. There is nothing else in there, but I think it tells me what I Oh, is this the revelation of the... This thing This is, is the revelation of the not Sasha. Not Sasha. Yeah. Oh! It's tied to the table. It... Oh god, yeah, the table. I found the tapes. I thought it was pronounced Calliope. This is the archivist's well misjudgment. If I'd been a bit more thorough, if I... It's just a scratch, John. I'll be fine. Can we begin? Was there anything I could have done? Could I have... Hello? I see you. Show yourself. Yeah. Yep. Here's a genuine fun fact. That whole bit of I thought it was pronounced Calliope is because we had a big old back and forth. Yeah, we had a big old... I wouldn't have called it an argument. Lottie, myself, Johnny. It's not a Calliope, it's a Calliope. It's a Calliope. How could it be a Calliope? That's just that's the worst thing ever. It's Calliope. I've always said Calliope. It's Calliope. And then Lottie was adamant it was Calliope. And it's like, it's Calliope! Here's a fake fun fact. Alex plays the Calliope. <laughs> Alex has the coordination of a uh, toddler, so I sincerely doubt that. To be fair, you did the sound editing on the Calliope track, so in a very real way... Ah, no. No? Well, sort of. So that's a Sam Sam the Music Man original. Oh, is it a Sam original? 
So as a result, I didn't actually generate that. I made it sound worse. He provided a really good track. And I went, I'm really sorry, Sam. I'm going to have to just bastardize this. Okay, so you commissioned a Calliope track, which in a very real way, is that not playing the Calliope? You know what? You're correct. The fact that I commissioned the Magnus Archives in a lot of ways means it's entirely my achievement. And we are all stood upon the shoulders of my giant hood. What we really need to bear in mind here when we think about <laughs> the writing of the... Okay. Shut up, Alex. <laughs> I can't remember what comes after this, though, to be honest. I should be listening. Oh, I think it's just the archivist being like, I'm going to get vengeance! And coming up is the bit where he smashes up the table. Oh, yeah! And Michael's like, mm, that was stupid. Oh, here's a question then, because I know people always clock this line. Is it surprisingly easy to buy an axe in central London? Uh, yeah. Just go to Robert Dias. It legitimately is, right? It's not just me. You can get them from hardware shops, and you do get hardware shops in central London. It's just not something that you usually think to pick up, because there's not a lot of things what need chopping. It's one of those weirdnesses of UK law as well, where it's like, you can go into the shop and buy it, but you're kind of expected to teleport it to the destination. (laughs) Oh yeah, because there are laws about what you can and can't carry around oh god yeah i remember the fan reactions to really really john you think you can just take an axe to a table and solve the problem i don't know if i'd have jumped to the exact same conclusion but certainly oh i would have straight away yeah it's very much like okay well these things are tied to an artifact so destroying the artifact like because the thing is in your classic ghost story destroying the thing that is tethering a monster does destroy that like tethering a ghost does destroy the ghost i really really like though that it's the first case of it's john acting in a genre savvy way and then being punished for it yeah and that's why i really really liked that bit that tickled me when we were first going over it because it was just yeah good let's punish people for daring to be genre savvy (laughs) statement of alice tonner regarding the crimes and death of Calvin Benchley. Statement oh, never it's given. Elias giving Daisy's statement. Everyone calls Daisy. Oh, yeah, I, I like forgot we did it this. So gentle, yeah. And I'm the only one left who knows about the scar on my back. It doesn't really look like a Daisy, more like a starburst, but it's what the doctor said when I got it. This is, so I've always I seen think, it. Elias's first it makes me feel strong major, to know like, that the soft nickname everyone calls me comes twisting from a knife. And I like to feel strong, to be in control. I'm going to kill you. Someday. When I was 11, I had a best friend, and his name was Calvin Benchley. We didn't hang out at school much because his friends said I couldn't play with them because I was a girl. But every day after getting home, we'd go to the nearby park and play. It was small, just a scrap of grass and dirt. But if you hopped the fence to the south, you could get into the cemetery. And if you went the other way, you got into an old building site. The fence on that side was broken and jagged, but it collapsed enough that it was easy to climb over. Into I remember the being really happy parents with playing there. how do we do the superpower thing with Elias? Because the connection's quite similar, which is you have a problem in season 5 which people never rarely address, which is, do you have any idea how difficult it can be to have an omniscient protagonist? Yeah. No one has gone, was it difficult to have an omniscient protagonist? You have it's so hard! Real difficult. Even then we still had to rely on the crutch of like a couple of blind spots. The time we spent working out the exact shape and limits of these blind spots because we had to have them because otherwise like you can't have any reveals 
it was the same for Elias, where we were doing it right back when, going, we have a problem, which is if we have a truly omniscient antagonist here, it's impossible to win. Mm. We had to, yeah, create those blind spots and so on and the distraction elements and blah, blah, blah. But this one tied to that as well is we really wanted to have basically the evil superpower thing of that was more interesting than just I can read your thoughts. Because again, if you have omniscience and can do complete mind reading, what's the point? And I really liked the idea of weaponizing memories against people. It's horrible, but I did like it. It came together well. I'm very proud of how Elias ended up as a like practical feature of the plot, if that makes sense. And like a lot of it always came down to this thing of like, well, he can see realistically almost anything because there are pictures of eyes basically everywhere. But he's still one person who is at any given point going to be looking in one place in a direction and often out of his own eyes how retro yeah like classic i was gonna say out of his own eyes technically yes always they are his own eyes i was very careful when i said that (laughs) it is odd once you look at the series as a whole to think of like the elements that are there where it's like his body is just still down there chilling yeah through all of this just just having a grand old time waiting it's odd yeah keeping his body down there was something like kind of new that's something that actually came quite late i think i'd originally just conceived of it as like a body hopping thing but then i was like no there needs to be something in the panopticon that like is a vulnerability thank goodness we had the mechanism that the tunnel steered people away otherwise martin's first four years i went down in the tunnels what'd you find the end of the series mate it was just laid out yeah I found Jürgen Leitner, Gertrude Robinson's body, the panopticon. You know, the list goes on. Like, I've basically solved it in a single journey. It is three different series finales which revolve around the revelation of something in... And that's not including the fact that he found Gertrude Robinson's, like, arch first failed thing. Yeah. There's a version where Martin just goes in the tunnel, solves everything and leaves well i mean i guess like it does make sense in this in the fact that like so much of it is about the institute and what is lurking in the institute's past which metaphorically is represented by the tunnels it's like that bit in uh, the marvel films where they're like oh look all of the stones are in one place at one time a lot of our plot was just chilling in the tunnels until it was needed hello uh miss robinson i am I found Mr. Vargas's statement that you asked for. Well, Not a little bit of Luke. I found the translation. This time being lovely. I, I already had the original, but you know, I, I, I didn't think you'd want it in Spanish. <laughs> that laugh. Uh, Just that subtle. Yeah. Uh, unless you speak Spanish. I do not. Thank you, Michael. Sure. Um, well, was was there anything else that you needed? Mm, no, no, not at the moment. Thank you. Right. Um. Well, if you need me, uh, they're installing that climate-controlled storage, that thing, uh, over the weekend. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just getting all that together. Yes, yes, I remember. Right. Well, call me if you need anything. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) I will. What a nice scene between two conscientious (laughs) workers. It's just a hard, cold turn of, yes, all right. And now I'm back into full-blown mode. Michael is played by Luke Boys, and I think I remember at the time, because obviously we had Michael the monster prior to Michael the assistant, so as a result we were working backwards from 
monster. It was, as I recall, a lot harder to get Luke to zone in on the not creepy. <laughs> when we explained the character to him when he turned up to just stab the archivist, it was just like, boom, yep, okay, I can do this weird monster. Then we had to, like, take one to be like, no, this is, he's just, he thinks that this is a harmless old lady that he's working for, and, you know, he's just being very gentle. There's a trick with Luke that he really keys into, which is providing a parallel example. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on audio before. The example that he was given to play towards was, I think it's called The Man with Thistledown Hair from Strange and Norrell. I never actually read Doctor Strange and Mr. Norrell. Doctor Strange and Mr. Norrell, there was a BBC, I think it is, adaptation as well, and it had a very good portrayal of basically a fey trickster, effectively. And I honestly, I think at some point, said, have you seen this? Can you channel that energy? At which point Luke goes, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I got you covered. Great, here you go. And then just clicked in. And I remember for this one when he was playing Michael, the assistant, he had at that point been aware of some of the stuff I'd done as Martin and I went, could you just do Martin, please? (laughs) Could you just be Martin? Okay, what we got next? Right, this way. Open it. Everyone loves Michael. Open it and all this will be over. It's Michael's demise. Oh, yeah! Uh, it's, uh, what? It's locked. Oh, yeah, it's, it's locked. <laughs> that was lovely. I loved that so much. Why is it locked? Much. It can't be. Well, you try it. <laughs> oh, here it comes. That, that, that's not... Oh. Oh, no. Oh, that's so loud. Yep. And here... Do you want is to Helen! Out? Hey, Imogen. Helen? H- Helen Richardson, but, but y- Michael... Michael isn't me. Not oh, now. of course, and I forgot what that happened? right when Helen's first introduced, Helen's very cold and flat. Yeah. And yeah, that was a whole thing, wasn't it, where Helen slowly gets more and more mm. affable and joyously trickstery, but at the start, she's so patted down. Yeah, it's all so new and, like, unvarnished in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agonised. That was a good joke, by the way, there, Alex, in case you missed it. No, I appreciated it. It was certainly a uh, portal to humour. I don't understand. (laughs) The words, you're so... Oh, God. (laughs) I'm just remembering how many times you got me to do the line, well, you try it, because I wasn't being sufficiently petulant. Oh, yeah, because that's the thing, is there was a golden period with the archivist where it's like, more petulant. I don't know. More, more petulant. More, more. It needs to be ridiculous. I genuinely spent... I hesitate to think how many hours on just that scream and door combo alone. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Like, hours and hours, because, again, it's early enough that I didn't have certain procedures down pat and there still wasn't huge amounts of help and things like that. You know, when you get a bee in your bonnet and you know exactly how it needs to sound. Speaking of, actually, is it too late to redo it? Just because I was listening to it right there. No, I am confident. I am confident that I have spent enough time that that's as good as it gets. That is as good as it gets. There are very few moments in this series where I am confident in what has been achieved. That is one of them. And I know because I lost... That's such a sad thing to say. I lost a lot of sleep on it. 
Francois Duchamp has refused our request for a follow-up interview. It's Beetle... He did forward us one item, however. Is this Beetleman? I can't read the French on this one, but it appears to be a crudely printed... Yeah, man who marries a beetle. Benoit Masson oh, is the only name gosh, legible on it. Yeah. As most of the details are obscured Kafka by a wide variety of dry What? No, this is straight romance, Alex. No, I know, but my problem is, is that my is the simple fact beetle that Gertrude was in Toulouse in Kafka June story, 2014. So as a result, I always connected it in my head. The yeah. information I found from her laptop doesn't give a complete picture of her travels, but now I know when to look. And it appears that when she left Toulouse, she did not return to London. Instead, it looks like she took several connecting flights, eventually ending up in Wellington International Airport in New Zealand. I like this one. It was so weird in the best way possible. I really liked this one. This is in the same arc as Monster Pig. There's a point in season three where I really... I'm enjoying trying to, like, see how far I can push weird in a way that, like, straddles the line between funny and horrifying and hopefully keeps it mostly into horrifying but still also definitely, like, quite funny because it is, like, can I take the idea of this man is in love with a beetle and make it kind of horrifying, especially, like, in terms of how the corruption works as a power... Checking, what's the scene that comes after? Oh, this is just after the archivist has returned from his fun skincare vacation. His spa month. You know, Martin missed the archivist, the archivist missed Martin. I guess maybe this is like a point that sort of is starting... Starting to cement stuff? ...that relationship and like properly establish it. But moreover, a man is in love with a beetle. I mean, was that an intentional parallel that you had? I am in love with a beetle, and then Martin turns up. I did just think, actually, I was like, a man is in love with a beetle, and his name is Martin. (laughs) No, that was not an intentional parallel. This is one of those periods where the exact statement... I think the statements actually got shuffled around a little bit between episodes, because like it was one where there was a lot of plot going specific places, there were certain statements that needed to be at certain points, but yeah, there, there were certainly... I don't think they were initially written as the same episode, but I could be wrong. You went through that period where you started to divorce the statements a little bit in certain chunks from what was happening so that you could do that, I remember. Yeah, and there were some that needed to be in certain locations or matching certain plot beats, but there were others that were a bit more free-floating. Sorry, it's just odd listening to you and me talk and then talking over you and me talking. <laughs> yeah, it does. It is a bit disconcerting. It's pretty much a summary of my life at this point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, not, well, I mean, you know, not so much now. Not so much not, now. Oh, oh. Nice lighter. You a spider freak then? What? Oh, uh, no, I, I never really, uh, I never really thought of it. Um, I, I, I'm John. I'm, I'm with the Magnus Institute. I'm the archivist. When did she die? About a year after you did. Was it peaceful? No. Good. I don't think she would have wanted that. God, I can't imagine her dying in bed. So you're the new guy then, following in her footsteps. Uh, I mean, some of them are. They 
don't exactly lead where I thought they would. Yeah, she was like that. I'm trying to stop the unknowing. Good old John Gracie. She didn't manage it then. Not before she... uh... I need your help. Do you now? She thought she'd found a way to stop it, I I think. If anyone knows what that was... That was so much fun to record. I don't even know if I'd call it fun. It was just like, sometimes you'll get a recording and it just flows. Yeah, it was so easy. I recall just doing three takes. Boom, boom, boom. It was lovely. You both just walked in, do this. All right. Okay, we'll do it two more times. Why? In case it might break. Uh, okay. Yeah. How have you been? <laughs> like, it was it was just lovely, straightforward. Really, really nice recording. John absolutely nailed the part. I feel... You know those things where it's like, oh, yeah, no, we got the casting really good on that? And, like, you feel like kind of a payoff of that in the studio because you're like, yes, really thought that this person would absolutely nail the part, and they did. I love the weariness, but not... It's not true sadness. It's not woe is me. He's not cynical, is Jerry, is the thing. Yeah. He still kind of believes in the possibility of goodness, even though he himself has, like, seen pretty much only dreadful stuff for most of his life. Yeah, this is someone who's read about goodness and is... I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Yeah. As a sequence as well, I loved... You were encountering Jerry out in a North American shack. It was not the person anyone expected you to uh, be meeting on your foreign sojourn. Mm. It's a lovely episode for me, retrospectively, because it's one that I feel very, like... Vindicated is not quite the right word, but, like, I feel that Exposition, heavy law dumps are ridiculously difficult to not make super boring. Yeah. And in retrospect, 111, we nailed it. I also really like the sort of. The almost attempt at like ransom that Jerry does, if you remember. Yeah. Where Jerry's like, maybe I won't tell you. It's like, well, what have you got to lose? What do I have to gain? Uh, uh, just give me some law. Yeah. It's taking the law dump and wrapping it in a really actually interesting and fun new character dynamic. Yeah, I really liked that dynamic. It's one of the ones where, to be clear, there was just no version of the Magnus Archives where that dynamic could be, you know, explored extensively and still really work. But it's one of the dynamics where, if there could have been... I really would have liked there to have been. I mean, it is the thing. That dynamic only works so well because of the stuff that means that it could only ever happen in a single scene. I mean, could you imagine it? The archivist and um, Jerry, it's got such a Randall and Hopkirk deceased vibe. Yeah. Going around, solving crimes, one of you is a ghost. Oh. One of the reasons it works so well is because of Jerry's role within the wider world and the wider narrative. But that also very much puts a limit, I guess, on how much he can actually be there. Good scene, I think. Well, on that then, I hope this has been uh, an enlightening experience for everyone. Yes. Mostly that it's better to listen to it without a pair of people just nattering through the whole way so you can't hear what's going on. I think the, the thing we did in this episode was good. I disagree discuss i really enjoyed working with all of the actors (laughs) except for my mother (laughs) right okay i am gonna wrap this episode up here if you listen to this mother i did enjoy working with you (laughs) 
Right, okay. In that case then, thanks everyone. I think we'll be back next week with some different content, but until then, thanks everyone and uh, look after yourselves. Bye. Bye. This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information, visit RustyQuill.com. Tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, it's Kareem, the voice of Simon Fairchild and the Eternal Tavern Keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Divisor, a podcast on the RQ Network. Divisor is a dark science fiction audio drama with elements of horror from Harlan Guthrie, the mastermind behind the unsettling and addictive series Malevolent. In this immersive tale, we follow Sun, a young man who awakens aboard a spaceship bound for Earth on a mission to recolonize a desolate planet. However, Sun's journey takes a sinister turn, and he discovers unsettling truths about his world and himself. The entire series is available for you to listen to now. Search for Divisor wherever you listen to podcasts. That's D-E-V-I-S-E-R. Or visit www.divisor.ca or www.rustyquill.com for more information.